All right. I normally don't care who is the president of any university I did not go to, including the one I did go to. Uh, but this is too good. Oh, my. Uh, you know by now that Claudine Gay, the former president of Harvard, was fired for, well, being a copycat. You can't do that when you're a university president. And, uh, well, being weirdly light when it comes to combating anti-Semitism. So strange. Seemed oddly comfortable with the idea of genocide being promoted on her campus. So she's out but she's mad. She is irate. They just published a big op-ed of hers in the uh, New York Times. She, whoop, it's racism, all right. She was targeted because she's a woman. Not only a woman, but a black woman. And, oh, boy, she is mad. But I'm sorry. You were the president of Harvard University, so you lose your job. Who do you think you were? Huh? The president of the United States? I mean, only Joe Biden, the president of the United States, can plagiarize and copy others and be light on anti-Semitism and get away with it. Take a look. Democratic presidential candidate Joseph Biden today faces a controversy. Three weeks ago at a debate at the Iowa State Fair, he used phrases identical to those delivered by British Labor Party leader Neil Kinnock. Why is it that my wife is sitting out there in the audience is the first in her family to ever go to college? Wife Janice, the first woman in her family in a thousand generations to be able to get the university. My ancestors who worked in the coal mines in northeast Pennsylvania and who come up after 12 hours and play football. Eight hours underground and then come up and play football. It's because they didn't have a platform upon which to stand. There was no platform upon which they could stand. And back then when he was running for president the first time, he was totally busted. But Joe being Joe and his head being as big as it is and being as strangely arrogant and kind of dumb at the same time, didn't think he had that much of a problem on his hands. It's been raised that uh, by uh, my opposition that uh, I uh, have uh, used a, um, I have uh, paraphrased uh, Neil Kinnock. And it's true I have, uh, and I will continue to because the sentiment he expresses is a sentiment that, in fact, I think best expresses what, uh, what's at stake here about building a platform for people. I did not say, to paraphrase Neil Kinnock, I should have, but I was talking about me in there, and I was applying the same exact thing Kinnock said about himself to me, which applied as I said it. <laughs> uh, this is somebody who's uh, not quite there, not a sharp guy. And what's with the uh, 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 and uh? Well, this wasn't the only thing he got busted for. In law school, Joe's a lawyer, believe it or not. He attended the uh, Syracuse University School of Law. And back then, he was busted for copying somebody else's work. At Syracuse Law School, Biden was involved in a plagiarism incident. He quoted five pages of someone else's work without proper citation. He was given an F, but appealed to the faculty and allowed to repeat the course. He got a B. <laughs> yeah, Joe talked his way out of that one, but again, he was busted. I kind of understand why this Harvard person is uh, is pretty bent out of shape for losing her job, but we'll get to the anti-Semitism stuff in a moment. First, Joe and law school. Yep, this is what he wrote as his own, but it wasn't his own. The trend of judicial opinion in various jurisdictions has been that the breach of an implied warranty of fitness is actionable without privity. Who would copy this stuff? Joe would. 
It doesn't make any sense, but Joe found it in some law review uh, article from Fordham University. The same exact words, the same exact words. And he wasn't done there. Back to Joe's uh, very wordy paper, because it is tortious wrong upon which suit may be brought by a non-contracting party. I wonder if Joe could diagram that sentence. Could anybody diagram that sentence? Let's go back to the Law Review article. Joe copied the damn thing. I mean, totally copied it, was busted because it is tortious and wrong. Uh, anyway, back then, when the media was not afraid, this was front page news, a Democrat plagiarizing New York Times. Yep. Uh, Joe Biden admits plagiarism in school, but says it was not malevolent. OK, when you go inside, Joe's trying to talk his way out of this thing is really kind of amusing. Let's do it, huh? My intent was not to deceive anyone, Mr. Biden wrote, for if it were, I would not have been so blatant. <laughs> Joe is very discreet when he deceives. Let's see here. Uh, at another point, the young Mr. Biden said, if I had intended to cheat, would I have been so stupid? Uh, <laughs> do I have to answer that? I value my word above all else, the impassioned letter said. This is a fact which is known to all those who are or have been acquainted with my character. I don't know. Should we play that? Should we play that clip where he lies 27 times in 45 seconds? We all know his character by now. It doesn't say those who will know his character. All right. Um, but this is not just about plagiarism, right? This is about anti-Semitism. And that's really the worst thing about the Harvard president, right? She was so weirdly light on anti-Semitism. Dr. Gay, at Harvard, does calling for the genocide of Jews violate Harvard's rules of bullying and harassment, yes or no? It can be, depending on the context. You know, I mean, that's... Uh, Unacceptable, unacceptable. Anti-Semitism is real and it's raging all over the country, right? We've all seen it. It's real, unlike, well, white supremacy, right? Where are the white supremacy demonstrations? Have you seen any? Have there been any white supremacy arrests? No, it's a phantom. White supremacy is awful, but it's not a thing. It's just not a thing. Uh, a couple of guys in prison, a couple of guys in the woods, that's it. But on anti-Semitism, Joe has been as weak and as light as maybe even the president of Harvard. You know, after October 7th, Joe had very little to say, even about the conflict, uh, even about anti-Semitism that we were already seeing in America. He made one statement and then he went qu quiet, actually. And when he finally spoke uh, after a couple of days, he didn't talk about Iran and he didn't talk about anti-Semitism, which was all over the place. A lot of folks on the left, they're anti-Semitic, and Joe knows that, and he has to manage that. AOC, she's the heart and soul of the Democrat Party. Maybe there's this. Joe, right there, kind of like the Harvard president, is a beneficiary of uh, affirmative action, in a way, of being selected for a big job, not because of ability, but because of what's on the outside. In Joe's case, well, who remembers Barack Obama back in the day when he was running for president? You know, he was young and he had just gotten to the Senate, well, two minutes earlier. And he picked Joe Biden for some reason. Why did he pick Joe? Uh, he didn't pick him for ability. He picked him because he looked a certain way. Barack was young. Joe was old, right? Um, also, 
I would have been open to a person of color as vice president, but apparently, according to the political experts, that year it could not have been with Obama at the top of the ticket. You think about Barack Obama running in 2008, a black guy, right? He's running and he needs to be balanced out in terms of trying to convince white men, white voters to come to his side. So he picks somebody like Joe Biden. The reason he was put on the ticket in the first place was not because he was akin to Obama, but because he was so different than Obama, right? Because he kind of balanced the ticket, because he made people in 2008, you know, kind of maybe more culturally conservative white voters who might be uncomfortable with Obama. He sort of vouched for him. Hey, speak for yourselves. I mean, that all sounds vaguely uh, bigoted, doesn't it? That's not how real people think. But in the Beltway, the political circles, that's how they think. Hey, George H.W. Bush, uh, do you think he picked Dan Quayle because he was the best guy to be vice president or president someday? No, he picked him because he was young, because he was cute, because he was from a certain state. That's how that, I mean, it's not about ability, which we all kind of found out at one point. Senator, I served with Jack Kennedy. I knew Jack Kennedy. Jack Kennedy was a friend of mine. Senator, you're no Jack Kennedy. situation like that please, and a please, situation like again, that you're only taking time is to call in the joint your own candidate that was really uncalled for senator <laughs> all right good for dan quayle actually in that moment um dan quayle is about a thousand times smarter than they portrayed him but nevertheless he was a liability and he was picked not because of ability, but because of what's on the outside, whether it's race, whether it's youth, it's always wrong. George H.W. Bush had to admit it himself in his own diary. It was my decision and I blew it, but I'm not about to say that I blew it, but he blew it. You know, this woke stuff, it always backfires. You know, people thought that electing uh, Obama was gonna do wonders for people of color. It didn't nationally and it didn't in the office. Obama thought, hey, I'm black. I don't have to appoint anybody who's black. And he was surrounded, notoriously actually, uh, by white folks in the white, not for me, but <laughs> even people at the White House, like the junior staffers were grumbling. What's with all the white men? Well, Barack Obama thought since, hey, I'm Barack, it doesn't matter. I'm, an, I'm diverse enough. You get it? This is all toxic stuff. It really is backwards. And so is this. We appointed a black woman, more black women in the federal courts, circuit courts, than any other president. We appointed more appellate federal judges who are women and African-American than every other president in history combined. I've appointed more black women in the federal court and circuit courts than all... Than, than, than every other president combined. Boo! I would have been booing. I would have been booing! because people should not be judged on what's on the outside. But that's what America is right now. Maybe this is a turning point. I don't know, we definitely need a turning point. We needed a turning point back when this character showed up. Dr. What is it? Richard Levine, Rachel Levine. Oh, I just misgendered the doctor. Remember this nonsense? What is she, de deputy something something at the Health and Human Services uh, Administration? That's a big job actually. And this doctor likes to be around kids who are transitioning. That's a problem. 
Will you make a more firm decision on whether or not minors should be involved in these decisions? Senator, uh, transgender medicine is a very complex and nuanced field, uh, and if confirmed to the position of Assistant Secretary of Health, I would certainly be pleased to come to your office and talk with you and your staff about the standards of care and the complexity of this field. Wow. Uh, somebody got their kicks appointing Rachel Levine uh, to that job. The president had nothing to do with it. People, people, you know, underlings, whatever. This it's not as weird as this, though. Uh, the energy official, remember the one who, uh, assistant secretary of something for the Department of Energy, uh, was non-binary and uh, also liked to steal luggage from the airport, allegedly. Do we have that picture of her? Yeah, yeah. You remember that character. Uh, oh, and then there's a good old-fashioned tokenism, like our goofy governor here in New York State, uh, Governor Hochul. Uh, <laughs> Boy, oh, boy, she really is in way over her head. But item number one when she got there, I must have a black person as my lieutenant governor. And she looked for the closest one she could find. Al Sharpton supported this man named Benjamin. And a matter of months later, he was arrested for something uh, real bad, uh, alleged bribery and stuff like that. So, you know, when you make it all about optics, I think it... I think your brain kind of turns off a little bit, right? You don't, you're not using your brain enough. Uh, let's see here. Oh, two more we got to do. Again, all about style over substance. Secretary Pete, formerly Mayor Pete, right? Uh, now, why is this guy the Secretary of Transportation again? I mean, who is he? Where did he come from? South Bend, Indiana, the mayor. But he wasn't just a mayor. He was a gay mayor. Pete Buttigieg is the first major gay candidate ever. Buttigieg, who is openly gay. He's a Christian, a veteran. Uh, he's from the Midwest. Uh, and he's openly gay. I mean, wow, what's not to like? Most people don't care. We really don't care. Can you do the job? And Pete can't. But these political types, they could not stop talking about, writing about, broadcasting that the man is gay and was a big part of his story. But that story is not helping Pete unscrew the airplane situation, the delays, the cancellations, the trains. We have big problems because what does he know how to do? Seriously, he knows how to. Well, he's gay and he knows how to fill potholes, right? Potholes. This is him as mayor. So. All right. But the uh, the number one, the number who take a guess for a moment who the number one token hire is in America will warm up, though, with a little bit of a hint. But I think this is a moment uh, to put a woman of color on that ticket. 100 prominent black men said the urgency to pick a black woman has gone from something that should happen to something that has to happen. Yes, I think he needs to choose an African-American woman. Black women are the base of the Democratic Party. This is such a disservice, quite frankly, to everybody, including qualified black women. And they're out there. But when you make it about what you can see, you find this okay. <laughs> how do you, how do you... <laughs> you know if only she was laughing at genuinely funny stuff everybody laughs and you can do that to anybody but it was always like just anyway wow so that brings me back to harvard the situation at harvard university uh just this evening the Harvard University, ex-Harvard University president, Claudine, 
uh, Gay put out a great big nasty uh, essay for the New York Times, and she's blaming a lot of people, a lot of forces, uh, not taking too much responsibility here. Let's go through it, shall we? Her brand new op-ed in the New York Times. She writes that my character and intelligence have been impugned. My commitment to fighting anti-Semitism has been questioned. Yeah, go figure. We watched you at that hearing. Uh, let's see what else here. My inbox has been flooded with invective, including death threats. Oh, there. I've been called the N-word more times than I care to count. Well, I hope that didn't happen. And if it did, that's terrible. But, uh, you know, you should look at my uh, inbox, okay? People can find my email. I seldom read it. But everybody gets nasty stuff if you, uh, you know, have a Twitter account with more than 5,000 people who follow it. Let's see here. Yes, I made mistakes. This is good. Uh, in my initial response to the atrocities of October 7th, I should have stated more forcefully what all people of good conscience know. Hamas is a terrorist organization that seeks to eradicate the Jewish state. At a congressional hearing last month, I fell into a well-laid trap. I neglected to clearly articulate that calls for the genocide of Jewish people are abhorrent and are unacceptable, and that I would use every tool at my disposal to protect students from that kind of hate. Well, what kind of trap was it? It was an easy, breezy, straight down the middle, no problem. But that was their strategy, to handle it in this way, to somehow countenance horrible, horrible hate speech on campus. The UPenn president was fired right away. They took a couple of weeks for her. The plagiarism did her in. Let's see here. Most recently, the attacks have focused on my scholarship. You think? My critics found instances in my academic writings where some material duplicated, <laughs> you mean copied, other scholars' language without proper attribution. This is a big problem if you're a professor or a university president. When I learned of these errors, I promptly requested corrections from the journals in which the flagged articles were published, consistent with how I have seen similar faculty cases handled at Harvard. All right, you see where this is going? She's different. She's being treated unfairly because I have a feeling it has something to do with her race and her sexuality, her gender. But let's see here. Never did I imagine needing to defend decades old and broadly respected research, but the past several weeks have laid waste to truth. Not quite sure what that means, laid waste to truth. Everything we have found has been uh, truthful. Truthful. Those who have uh, relentlessly campaigned to oust me since the fall, often trafficked in lies and ad hominem insults, not reasoned argument. Well, welcome to the 21st century. What can I tell you? Uh, they recycled tired. Here we go. Here we go. Ra uh, re racial stereotypes about black talent and temperament. They pushed a false narrative of indifference and incompetence. It is not lost on me, she writes, that I make an ideal canvas for projecting every anxiety about the generational and demographic changes unfolding in American cow. A black woman selected to lead a storied institution. Hey, that would be fine. You just can't be a copycat and you can't be light on genocide. Okay, that's why you lost the job. It has nothing to do with your gender or your race. But that is why you got the job. All right, give me a moment. Bill Ackerman is a great guy. He started this whole thing, actually, uh, in getting this university president removed. He is a proud American, very successful, a billionaire, a proud Jew, and he's not afraid to just stand up for himself and his people and the country. I really like him, and I hope he's vice president someday. If not president, we'll be right back.
Richard Rainwater is one of the great investors of all time. He came to speak at Harvard Business School when I was a student. I was thinking about starting my own investment firm, uh, and I said, I asked Richard what he thought of the idea. He said, you know, Bill, you don't need to be old to be right. That was enough for me, and I started an investment fund when I graduated at 26. I'm a continuous learning machine, uh, and, and all mistakes are opportunities for learning. Well, that's Bill Ackman and a hero in my book. This man has been so vocal uh, in pushing back against anti-Semitism, which, who knew, seems to be everywhere, especially elite Ivy League campuses like the one he attended, business school. This guy is major success, billions and billions of dollars, but he cares very much about this country and the horrific direction it's going. And his alma mater, he wrote a big essay. He put it up on X, formerly known as Twitter. Do we have to just say that? And... Uh, I'm going to read a portion of it out loud, okay, uh, from Bill Ackman. I first became concerned about Harvard when 34 Harvard student organizations early on the morning of October 8th, before Israel had taken any military actions in Gaza, came out publicly in support of Hamas, a globally recognized terrorist organization holding Israel solely responsible for Hamas, Hamas's barbaric and heinous acts. The protests began as pro-Palestine and then became anti-Israel. Shortly thereafter, anti-Semitism exploded on campus as protesters who violated Harvard's own codes of conduct were emboldened by the lack of enforcement of Harvard's rules and kept testing the limits of how aggressive, intimidating, and disruptive they could be to Jewish and Israeli students and the student body at large. Sadly, anti-Semitism remains a simmering source of hate, even at our best universities among a subset of students. I ultimately concluded that anti-Semitism was not the core of the problem, he writes. It was simply a troubling warning sign. It was the canary in the coal mine, despite how destructive it was in impacting student life and learning on campus. I came to learn that the root cause of anti-Semitism at Harvard was an ideology that had been promulgated on campus, an oppressor-oppressed framework that provided the intellectual bulwark behind the protests, helping to generate anti-Israel and anti-Jewish hate and harassment. Then I did more research, he writes. The more I learned, the more concerned I became, and the more ignorant I realized I had been about DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion, a powerful movement that has not only pervaded Harvard, but the edu educational system at large. I came to understand uh, diversity, that diversity, equity, and inclusion was not what I had naively thought those words meant. What I learned, however, was that DEI was not about diversity in its purest form, but rather DEI was a political advocacy movement on behalf of certain groups that are deemed oppressed under DEI's own methodology. Under DEI, one's degree of oppression is determined based on where one resides on a so-called intersectional pyramid of oppression, where whites, Jews and Asians are deemed oppressors and a subset of people of color, LGBTQ people and or women are deemed to be oppressed under this ideology, which is the philosophical underpinning of DEI as advanced by Ibram X. Kendi and others. One is either an anti-racist or a racist. There is no such thing as being not racist under DEI's ideology. Any policy, program, educational system, economic system, grading system, admission policy, and even climate change due to its disparate impact on geographies and the people that live there 
That leads to unequal outcomes among people of different skin colors, and it's deemed racist. As a result, according to DEI, capitalism is racist. Advanced placement exams are racist. IQ tests are racist. Corporations are racist. In other words, any merit-based program, system, or organization which has or generates outcomes for different races that are at variance with the proportion these different races represent in the population at large is by definition racist under DEI's ideology. In order to be deemed anti-racist, one must personally take action to reverse unequal outcomes in society. This is impossible, all right, impossible. He goes on to write, after the death of George Floyd, the already burgeoning DEI movement took off without any real challenge to its problematic ideology. Why? Why, you might ask, was there so little pushback? The answer is that anyone who dared to raise a question that challenged DEI was deemed a racist, a label which could severely impact one's employment, social status, reputation, and more. Being called a racist got people canceled. So those concerned about DEI and its societal and legal implications had no choice but to keep quiet in this new climate of fear. The DEI movement has taken control of speech. Certain speech is no longer permitted. So-called microaggressions are treated like hate speech. Trigger warnings are required to protect students. Safe spaces are necessary to protect students from the trauma inflicted by words that are challenging to the students' newly acquired worldviews. Campus speakers and faculty with unapproved views are shouted down, shunned, and canceled. He, he goes on for several more pages, but I want to make this point. Martin Luther King's most famous words are instructive. I have a dream that my four little children will one day live in a nation where they will not be judged by the color of their skin, but by the content of their character. But here we are in 2024 being asked and in some cases required to use skin color to affect outcomes in admissions, in government, in business, across the board. It is outrageous. But thank goodness we have people like Bill Ackman, Donald Trump, you and me, because we're not going to let them win. Thank you. And we'll be right back with Congressman Jim Jordan. Greta Van Susteren is back. She's on Newsmax, giving you the really big stories without the spin. Watch The Record with Greta Van Susteren. She's smart, tough, and always fair. Don't miss Greta's new show. Well, an absolute disgrace what's been happening at our border. Our country is fundamentally changing. The Biden administration could be doing so much. They are not. Uh, fortunately, I was pleased to see a big, a great big congressional delegation down there, including the Speaker of the House, including one of our favorites, of course, Jim Jordan, uh, Chairman of the House Judiciary Committee, Republican of Ohio. And he joins us once again on Newsmax. Congressman Jordan, welcome back. Uh, how are you? And how's the border? Happy New Year. I hope you're doing well. Happy New Year. Absolutely. Uh, feeling good about the year. Optimistic, actually. But the border, I know I shouldn't be. How do you feel right now? What happened today? Well, I mean, we actually saw some migrants coming across the river. I mean, it was amazing. You had a, you had a delegation, like some members of Congress, just coming across and Border Patrol. They, they got through the razor wire and Border Patrol took them in. They're going to process them and release them into the country because that's the policy 
that Joe Biden put in place. And so I always tell, I think there are sort of three fundamentals here, uh, Greg. First is, what's the cause? The cause of the problem is Joe Biden's intentional, willful decision to get rid of the, the Remain in Mexico policy, to stop building the wall, and to release migrants once they come to the country. And when you do that, everyone's going to come because the incentive is to come to the greatest country uh, in the world because they know they're going to be released. And then I think the second big thing is the magnitude of the problem. We got to see some of that today, but the country already knows how serious this is. 300,000 last month, highest number on record. More importantly, in the in the Biden first term, as we stay, if we stay on the same course we're on, we will hit 12 million migrants who've come in the country in Joe Biden's term as president of the United States. That's equivalent to the state of the population for the state of Ohio. Uh, there's the great state that I get the privilege of, of representing. So th this is how serious it is. And then the final, I think, question is, what are we going to do to fix it? What's the solution? And of course, it's a legislation that we've already passed that sits in the United States Senate where no action is being taken on it by Chuck Schumer. But then again, he could, if he wanted to, do stuff right now away from that legislation, right? Yeah, exactly. So he could he could put back in place the policies president. He could go negotiate with Mexico. They're going to wait in Mexico while we evaluate their asylum claim. He could continue building the wall. He could do all that, but he won't because they and this is the part that bothers me the most. And I think it bothers the country is why would a president of the United States intentionally, deliberately, willfully allow what's going to be 12 million people in his, in his term as president, why would he allow that to happen to our country? And all the bad things that happened to women and children and all the drugs and everything else that, and how the cartels been, why would he allow that? What is his objective? And it's, it's really scary that a president, the commander in chief of your country would allow that to happen. So yeah, he could stop this. He could, I think what should happen, if they're not going to take up our good legislation, what should happen is to simply say, time out. We're going to suspend, and I would argue one sentence probably does most of this. One sentence that says no money can be used to process or release into the country any new migrant. Just that sentence. Put that on must-pass legislation. Make that the law. Then they can't spend your tax dollars, your viewers' tax dollars, on processing and releasing in the country new migrants. they got to detain them or send them back. They want voters, right? They think somehow they can. these people will vote Democrats someday. That's what the hard-left AOC base wants, they're in charge. I, I mean, I don't know, no, but I think that's what's going on. Do you? I mean, you, you've raised a great question. Why would he let that happen? Is that well, why? Well, they want for them, which would in effect make them voters at some point. I think they also like the idea that when the census gets counted every 10 years, um, you count you, you count persons in, in, in your respective state. And then that, that overall number determines the amount of uh, members of Congress you get from, from your state. So I think in states, this helps drive up the number of representatives. I think that's part of it, too. But I do think you're right. I think it's political. Uh, I don't know for sure either. But it sure seems when they talk about amnesty for what's going to be 12 million people in one president uh, in one presidency, I think it has to be some political motive here, uh, which is unfortunate. We should be doing what's good for the country, uh, not not allowing this to happen. Congressman, very quickly, if you don't mind, probability that Mayorkas gets impeached and that Biden gets impeached. If you want to give me odds, 50 percent, 40 percent, 100 percent, what do you think? Well, we're, we're moving forward with our inquiry into, into President Biden. And, of course, uh, uh, Chairman Green's been working on his inquiry into Mr. Mayorkas. I think the evidence is pretty darn compelling already for both individuals. But I always say this. We want the facts. We want the evidence to drive this decision. And then we'll make, we'll make, a, we'll make a determination as the House of Representatives, who has the sole power to impeach people, 
and understand with Mayorkas, impeachment is simply just, you know, he's getting fired is, 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 would be the end result if, in fact, we would, we would move forward with this and there would be a conviction in the Senate. Yeah. And you look at the results, it sure seems like he deserves that. But I'm going to let the facts and evidence, we're going to look at all that and we'll make a decision. Congressman Jim Jordan, thanks so much. Safe trip you back uh, to Ohio and Washington to be continued, and we'll be right back. I switched. I switched. I switched. I switched to Newsmax. 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 Have you made the switch? You bet I did. My whole family switched. Millions are switching to Newsmax. You should too. This was General Soleimani, a very bad guy, Iranian military slash terror commander. You know, the Trump administration, well, killed the guy. He was a genuine military target. And uh, he was taken out by U.S. forces when he was at the Baghdad airport, I believe. (laughs) Get this. There were liberals in this country who said, you know, the world was much safer, actually, with Soleimani walking around. Yeah, they actually said that out loud. Anyway, uh, today in Iran, at his cemetery, there was uh, a disturbance. A couple of bombs went off and all kinds of chaos. Uh, Well, hey. Chaos in the Middle East, go figure, right? Um, and of course, the situation in Gaza, the war is not over yet. We are hoping, we are praying that Israel achieves all of its objectives, at least I am right here. I am joined by Blaine Holt, the retired U.S. Air Force Brigadier General, and Fred Flights, uh, former CIA analyst, former Trump National Security Council veteran, and he's at the America First Policy Institute. Gentlemen, welcome to you all. This Suleimani thing, the blast at the at the cemetery. Uh, Fred, what are you hearing and what should we make of it, if anything? Uh, It's good to be here. Happy New Year. Uh, Most Americans don't realize that, although Iran sponsors terrorism, it also suffers from terrorist attacks. There are dissident groups. uh, ISIS, a Sunni Muslim uh, terrorist group, has staged attacks like this in Iran before. There are groups of former Iranian citizens who live abroad who conduct uh, incidents like this. But I think Iran is going to blame this on Israel. Israel does not conduct operations this way. It does not target civilians. Uh, but I think that's the next card we're going to see the Iranian government playing. Uh, Blaine Holt, what's on your mind tonight, please? Yeah, so Fred's got it exactly right. You know, it, there's 160 million population count in Iran. 50% of them are minorities. They're not Persians. And of the Persians, uh, many of them are very, very dissatisfied with their government. So. It could be that, or it could have been a false flag where the Iranians did it to themselves. But what we should take from this either side is that we can expect an Iranian response. And I wouldn't just limit that Iranian response to the Israelis. I would uh, be very concerned about our open southern border right about now and how many Iranian terrorists we have on our landmass and what that could lead to for us. They have also made threatening remarks against our nation as well. And uh, we are completely uncovered with not knowing who's in our country and uh, what their designs could be if they were given the proper orders. Wow. Hey, we have the hostages still uh, held by the terrorists in Gaza. Let's see here. 88 days, 88 days and counting. Uh, Today, the White House seemed to be, I don't know, kind of uh, not too uh, worried about the situation, kind of whatever. Uh, Let's go with that. Can you give us an update on the hostage situation in Israel and the kind of the status of the talks with the Qataris and others to, to, to move that forward? Well, there's always hope, uh, and we're not going to 
stop hoping to try to get all those hostages home. What I can tell you uh, is that the conversations are ongoing. They're real. Doesn't sound urgent enough. Doesn't sound strong enough, in my opinion, Fred. No, that's right. The Biden administration is desperate for this issue to go away. It is a huge political loser for Joe Biden. We know that groups on his left are increasingly agitated and demonstrating and claiming that they will not vote for him. Uh, the Biden administration would like Israel to wrap this war up as soon as possible. Netanyahu says it will not be weeks. It will be at least months. Uh, the Biden administration keeps sending a, a stream of officials to Israel to try to change Netanyahu's mind. The Israeli government is not going to stop this assault on Gaza until it knows its borders are secure. You know, all these fine men and women, and uh, including that four-year-old boy still held hostage. We, play, we show those pictures from time to time of those still in captivity held by the terrorists. John Bolton, I'm not a fan at all, uh, but he wrote something, and maybe, uh, I don't know, but let's go ahead and put it boss. up, please. He, he really wants to go to war. We know this about him for a long time. The West may now have no option but to attack Iran. That's by John Bolton, you know, the guy with the mustache, the guy who hates Trump. Um, but maybe this time he has a point, uh, General Holt. I don't think we uh, should be so quick to want to go to war or start dropping bombs. I've heard this type of talk from Senator Graham and others. You know, we're the ones who look the other way on the sanctions and let them accumulate $100 billion. We could turn that off now. We could stop them from trading with China. We have so many levers of power. Uh, and, and we've never seen a strategy in any of these uh, escapades that this national security team has put on from Afghanistan to Ukraine. Uh, they just throw money at things and they throw weapons at things and, and there's no strategy. So so really, with no strategy in mind, we're just going to go uh, go to war with Iran. That's that's absolutely reckless. We may have to go to war with Iran. They, don't get me wrong. Iran may be taking an action here soon that requires that of us. But but before that time comes, uh, I would love to see the State Department work a, a little bit of overtime on that seventh floor of theirs. Yeah, you know, uh, well, Trump did say that John Bolton was something of a warmonger. Fred Flight's always wanted to go to war. I guess he really does. And a lot of people who haven't been to war think it's uh, the funnest and easiest thing out there, including John Bolton. Fred? Well, I was John Bolton's chief of staff twice, and I know he wants to attack Iran. He's wanted to attack Iran for a long time. What I recommend is before we talk about that, let's take out the Iranian terrorist proxies. We're not doing that right now. We had pin, pinprick airstrikes against them. But if it's necessary to strike Iran, we need congressional authorization. No more going Amen. around Congress's right to declare war. If there is a real need to do that, we want the American people to be on board. We want Congress to be on board. Absolutely. Yeah, it's, it's, it's right in the Constitution. They got to declare right. war. And somehow, I don't think we've declared a war since when? World War II? When was the last declared war? Pop quiz to you, General Holt. <laughs> Let's go with World War II. <laughs> How about you, Fred? As far as I know, I think that's right. Amazing, huh? Wow. Yeah. Fred, General, appreciate it so much. To be continued, be right back. Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Hi, it's Tony Marino, host of the Newsmax Daily Podcast, your daily news bulletin of Newsmax's top headlines, along with commentary from our hosts and experts. You can learn more about all of the free podcasts, including Newsmax Daily, Rob Carson, and Jerry Callahan at Newsmax.com slash listen.
That's Joe Biden, Labor Day, Philadelphia 2022, when he was railing about MAGA and what a threat to democracy we all are. Totally over the top, totally sick. Well, we're going to see more of this from Joe Biden because the third anniversary of January 6th, which they're going to, oh boy, that's a very important day uh, for these folks. He's going to give another speech uh, in Pennsylvania, actually, and he's going to say Trump's a threat to democracy, MAGA's a threat, all that stuff. Divide us, try to rip this country apart, just like the January 6th committee did. Anytime you're at a party and somebody starts talking about the January 6th committee, you got to remember what frauds these people were, right? Everything about it, everything. The committee itself, the witnesses, uh, the silly people who were cast just because they looked a certain way. That whole issue, Trump actually, he wanted to go to the Capitol. No, he didn't. Yes, he did. It doesn't really matter. Trump has acknowledged that he wanted to go to the Capitol. Do we have that picture of Trump in the SUV? In the SUV, yeah, he was in that. So what happened in that car? It doesn't really matter. But they want to make a big federal case out of it. Uh, they found a cop during the January 6th hearings to say this. The second witness is retired Sergeant Mark Robinson of the D.C. Police Department, who was assigned to the president's motorcade that day. He sat in the lead vehicle with a Secret Service agent responsible for the motorcade, also called the T.S. agent. Here's how Sergeant Robinson remembered the exchange. Was there any description of what of what was occurring in the car? No, only that on the only description I received was that the president was upset and that he was adamant about going to the Capitol. And there was a, a heated discussion about that. So what? They put this guy prime time, right? Why him? Again, the whole optics situation. Where was he in the motorcade? This is a cop who was in the front car of the motorcade, right? Here's a typical motorcade. He didn't see the president, didn't hear the president, but over the radio, he heard somebody talking about something. It was all nonsense. And the big question they should have answered, they should have at least asked about, Ashley Babbitt. And they didn't. They didn't. Not one. Wow. There will be justice for this woman. I know there will be. Accountability. We demand it. And we're going to get it. I'll be right back. You know, folks, I thank God for my wonderful wife, my kids, my country, the greatest nation ever. And Americans like you who believe in the truth, The Chris Salcedo Show will never stop fighting for you. The Chris Salcedo Show, for the news you need to know. Newsmax Plus, have you checked it out yet, folks? It's awesome. Now, we can't stream uh, for free anymore, all right? Sorry. But uh, this is a great opportunity for everybody. Hundreds of thousands of people have signed up. You go to Newsmax Plus. It's all self-explanatory. And you can watch Newsmax wherever you are and get all kinds of archival footage. You get Newsmax 2. You get, you get everything, okay? So please check it out, NewsmaxPlus.com. And uh, check this out. My older daughter, Annalise, on that pony over the Christmas break. Isn't she good up there? Very first time on a horse. I'll be home soon, baby. And good night, everybody.